Welcome back, friends. Welcome back to The Corbett Report. I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. You're tuned into Solutions Watch, and hopefully by this point, as I come to you here in September of 2023, you have watched my recent podcast-umentary, How BlackRock Conquered the World. If not, what are you doing? Stop what you're doing and go watch it. It's at CorbettReport.com slash BlackRock. But once you have watched it, you will know that like all of my work, it doesn't just present the problem, but does at least gesture towards some possible solutions. As bleak as the exploration of this world-conquering juggernaut is, there is a ray of hope on the horizon. The public is at least finally becoming aware of the existence of BlackRock and its relative importance on the global financial stage. This is reflected in an increasing number of protests targeting BlackRock and its activities. Ten trillion dollars! If that were a country, that country's GDP would be larger than every other country's GDP except for two. This is a financial behemoth that is single-handedly more so than most other institutions in the world. Keen-eyed observers may note, however, that these protests are not against the BlackRock agenda that I've been laying out here. On the contrary, they are for that agenda. These protesters' main gripe seems to be that Fink and BlackRock are engaged in greenwashing, and that the megacorporation is actually more interested in its bottom line than in saving Mother Earth. Well, duh. Even BlackRock's former chief investment officer for sustainable investing wrote, after leaving the firm, an extensive four-part whistleblowing expose documenting how the sustainable investing push being touted by Fink is a scam from top to bottom. My only gripe with this limited hangout critique of BlackRock is that it implies that Fink and his cohorts are merely interested in accumulating dollars. They're not. They're interested in turning their financial wealth into real-world power. Power they will wield in service of their own agenda, and will cloak with a phony green mantle because they believe, and not without reason, that that's what the public wants. Slightly closer to the point, you get non-profit groups like Consumers Research slamming BlackRock for impoverishing the real economy for the benefit of itself and its clients. You'd think a company that has made it their mission to enforce ESG standards on American businesses would apply those same standards to foreign investments, but BlackRock isn't pushing its woke agenda on China or Russia. Consumers Research Executive Director Will Hild explained last year after the launch of an ad campaign targeting the investment giant. But that critique too seems to miss the underlying point. Is Hild trying to say that if only Fink applied his economy-destroying standards equally across the board, then he'd be beyond reproach? More hopefully, there are signs that the political class, always willing to jump out in front of a parade and pretend they're leading it, are picking up on the growing public discontent with BlackRock and are beginning to cut ties with the firm. In the past several months, multiple U.S. state governments have announced their intention to divest state funds from BlackRock, with 19 states' attorneys general even signing a letter to Larry Fink in August of 2022 calling him out on his agenda of social control. BlackRock's actions on a variety of governance objectives may violate multiple state laws. 
Mr. McComb's letter asserts compliance with our fiduciary laws because BlackRock has a private motivation that differs from its public commitments and statements. This is likely insufficient to satisfy state laws requiring a sole focus on financial return. Our states will not idly stand for our pensioners' retirements to be sacrificed for BlackRock's climate agenda. The time has come for BlackRock to come clean on whether it actually values our state's most valuable stakeholders, our current and future retirees. As part of this divestment push, the Louisiana State Treasurer announced in October that the state was withdrawing $794 million in state funds from BlackRock. South Carolina State Treasurer announced plans to divest $200 million from the company's control by the end of the year, and Arkansas has already taken $125 million out of money market accounts under BlackRock's management. Regardless of the real motivations of these state governments, the fact that they feel compelled to take action against BlackRock is itself a hopeful sign. It means that the political class understands that an increasing portion of the public is aware of the BlackRock ESG corporate governance agenda and is opposed to it. It's already having some effect, with Fink recently conceding that he would bow to the pressure and drop explicit promotion of ESG scores while continuing to push the ESG agenda and everything it stands for, naturally. Once again, we arrive at the bottom line. The only thing that truly matters is public awareness of the issues involved in the rise of a financial and political and technological giant like BlackRock, and it is only general public opinion that can move the needle when it comes to removing the wealth and thus the power from a behemoth like the one that Fink has created. All right, well, I think that at least sets the table for this conversation, an exploration of what we can be doing proactively about the problem of BlackRock and more specifically the problem of the incredible influence and power to direct and shape society that tens of trillions of dollars of investable capital brings to anybody. So what do we do about this problem? Well, I think the first thing to state is to restate, as probably needs to be restated every single edition of Solutions Watch, but let's restate it here for the record, that yes, of course, Solutions Watch is uh, essentially a catalog of the fact that there is no singular silver bullet that is going to solve this problem, and simply watching a video by myself or anyone else is not going to solve the problem. It, ha it can only come through actions that we enact in the real world, and any action that we are going to take is only going to be partial and is only going to work in our particular circumstances. So let's set our Let's set our parameters here and our, our ultimate uh, expectations accordingly. I don't think watching this video is going to end BlackRock and its power over the economy, but there are things that we can be doing. And let's start exploring some of those. I think the first order of approximation of a solution to this, the first thing that will occur to most people in this type of situation, here's some sort of financial juggernaut, here's some sort of corporate entity, boycott, right? Take, take the power away. Um, in fact, as a recent edition of Solutions Watch has it, stop buying their crap. Well, that certainly is possible when we're talking about a specific corporation with a specific product, whether it be Coca-Cola or Bud Light or whatever else. That obviously is a more, uh, is an effective way of, and demonstrably so, of people flexing their power and showing that actually the, the power really does lie with us. Um, but, Boycotting 
black rock? What does that look like? I mean, good luck with that, I guess. Uh, it's not like black rock is something that we as consumers in this consumer society are buying products from in some direct way. No, this is this is an entity that is investing capital that is given to them by pension funds and big corporations and others to invest in other corporations. How how do you go about boycotting that? It's not immediately obvious, but even if it could be, if we could find some way to at the very least divest from those people who are investing with BlackRock, what does that look like and what can we do about it? Well, I mean, there are there are ideas on the table, ideas that have been floated and even tried in the past. And one example of that, it, does anyone remember Karma Bank? Yeah, I didn't think so. <laughs> but anyway, people may or may not remember the idea of Karma Bank started uh, by Max Kaiser a couple of decades ago. And we can turn way back in the archives to utney.com from a post from January of 2000. Five um, for a post about Karma Bank, which notes that uh, this organization um, was formed uh, to create corporate losses and generate profit from the fallout. So not just to bring down evil corporations, but to actually profit from their fall, um, essentially attacking companies the hedge fund way. Um, Karma Bank's website will track the public reputation of socially suspect corporations in an effort to calculate when they would be most vulnerable to a boycott. The most susceptible will also be selected for a hedge fund that has been set up for wealthy activists. Hedge funds are specialized investment packages that pool multiple investors' resources for the purposes of selling short. When selling short, stockholders invest in stock that is likely to drop in price and return devalued stock to their lender, keeping the margin between the original price and the lesser price for themselves. So I, I presume you know about short selling and how that works and how you could profit, for example, by knowing about a big, humongous uh, airline disaster that's going to take place in the coming days by selling short the stock of those airlines, United Airlines and others, right? We know how that works. Well, how about using that, weaponizing that by saying, hey, we want to take down this evil corporate. We want to take down Coca-Cola. We're going to short them uh, and start a boycott campaign that's going to bring down their stock price. And we're going to profit as they their profits start plunging and more people will pile on to get some of that profit. It's just the way this works. You know, that's the idea anyway. So it says, when a chosen company is most vulnerable, Karma Bank will encourage interested activists to stage traditional boycotts, which will help drive a targeted company's share prices down, enabling the short sale. A portion of the profit from the fund will be given to victims of the American business model, people who have been injured by the targeted corporations. All right. Again, there's many things that you could critique about the way that this could be implemented and by whom and for what purposes and do I sign on to this agenda. But the idea itself of short selling and boycotting is an interesting idea. So has it been tried? Well, yes. As this article notes, Karma Bank has already targeted Coca-Cola and Ireland-based Ryanair. And by the end of March, Karma Bank investors will set up the fund that Kaiser hopes to be worth $100 million. He's already raised $12 million. All right. Well, that's a that's a very hopeful idea there for January 2005. How did that turn out? Oh, <laughs> I think Coca-Cola is still around. and Yeah, I don't think Karma Bank is still around. And I don't think it actually took down any corporations. So, hmm, well, the devil may be in the details. But, I mean, if you wanted to start some sort of idea, if not targeting 
BlackRock, which again is this kind of amorphous, it's an investor entity, so you, you don't have direct access to it in the public. But at least specific corporations that BlackRock is heavily invested in, you could target them. I mean, it's an idea that's out there on the table. But as I say, that's the sort of first order approximation of an idea. Well, there's there's a business that that is doing bad things. Let's boycott it. Okay, good enough. And and hats off to you if you try. And I hope I hope that's successful. But can we think about this at a deeper level? Well, yes, we can. For example, I, I have not just covered the idea of boycotts in Solutions Watch, but as you know, I have covered the idea of boycotts, as in not just withdrawing our money from the evil corporations, but using it to build up things that we actually want to bring about in this world. So what does that look like in this case? Well, again, if we're thinking about these investment behemoths like like uh, BlackRock, well, how about instead of investing in some sort of pension fund or whatever that is going to be investing through BlackRock into the ESG agenda of companies and whatever else Larry Fink wants to bolster. Well, how about we use a different investment manager uh, to take our investment money and use it towards things that we want to actually bring about in the world? What would that look like? Well, again, are there any ideas on the table? Well, there, there are some. For example, have you heard of Strive? The goal is to restore the voice of the everyday citizen in corporate America where they haven't been heard. Because one of the problems in this country, Steve, is that the three largest asset managers in the world, that's BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard, these three firms basically control nearly every public company in corporate America in an indirect way. I think they're using their clients' capital to advocate for viewpoints in the boardrooms of corporate America that most of their own clients disagree with. And here's the problem, Glenn. Just think about this as a, as a second for a thought experiment, all right? If you had the CEOs of Exxon and Shell and Chevron get together in a room and say, we're going to cut gas production, and then gas prices spike at the pump as a result, mm -hmm. this would be the stuff of movies. People would be walking out, perp walks and handcuffs. Okay, it's yep. antitrust violation. Yet today, when the largest owners of those firms effectively direct them and mandate them to do the same thing, somehow that gets celebrated as ESG instead. The argument that he's making is uh, that they're going to start a fund that's not going to focus on ESG at all. That he believes that ESG is what is keeping the big majors, the oil companies and the like, from drilling more. Uh, that they're so focused on these other issues that they're actually not focused uh, on, on real economic metrics that would make them more profitable. Do you believe that's accurate? Yes. Yes, I do. That is a fiduciary breach. And we're stepping in to correct that fiduciary breach by providing an alternative that tells companies to focus exclusively on excellent products for their customers rather than on politics and rather than on social agendas. And I think that's what we're missing today. And what we're doing is representing actually the voices of the actual shareholders, not the institutions who claim to be the shareholders, but their clients, the everyday citizens of this country, firefighters, nurses, doctors, small business owners, who want to deliver a different message as shareholders right. to corporate America's boardrooms, focus on excellent products, not on politics. That's the voice that's missing. And I think we need to restore that true diversity of ideas in our American capital yeah. markets if our economy is actually going to function. But our perspective at Strive and my personal perspective 
is that many of the underlying companies are actually performing more poorly because of what these large shareholders, and I use shareholders in quotes because it's not really their money, it's the money of their clients, but what these large asset managers are telling these companies to do. What we really need is just true competition and true diversity. If we get there, I'm happy. And I don't want partisanized economies left at the end of it. I actually think that they can, the economy can bring us together. The private sector, if it's depoliticized, can bring us together. We're just taking the steps to get there. But the one thing we have going for us is that the majority of citizens in this country do not want their asset managers advocating for the kinds of political agendas they're pushing today. And I think that's going to be the winning hand in the end. I think it's going to be unifying for our corporate culture. I think it's going to be unifying for our country. And my bet is, I think a lot of customers, not everyone, we don't think every client should come to us just like every client shouldn't go to BlackRock or Vanguard. But many clients, if not most people in this country, are going to get behind that message. That's what motivates me to take the step. People don't want a soulless company, a company without a soul, investing their assets, saying what's politically convenient one day and walking it back the next. I think they want honesty. I think they want transparency. I think they want asset managers who actually stand for their voices. That's what's missing in the market. I personally think the best solution isn't state action or government action. It is competition through the market itself. And so we're going to, I'll jokingly say, help them fix that antitrust problem. That's the good news for them. The bad news is we're going to do it by taking market share. So that's what we're hoping to fix at Strive. All right. An asset management company that is specifically and quite openly, not only against the ESG woke nonsense investing, but against Larry Fink and BlackRock specifically, and Vanguard and State Street and the other the other gang that make up the $20 trillion or so of assets under management in the economy directly, let alone the tens of trillions that are under management through Aladdin. Again, if you've watched How BlackRock Conquered the World, you'll know all about that story. So here is an asset management company that specifically is going against that agenda, or at least is claiming to. So let's get some more information because let's not trust the corporate media sizzle reel put together by this asset manager. Let's take a look at some more details about this. We can look, for example, at Investment News that had this post back up in uh, August of 2022, where there was a lot of coverage of this Strive asset management. Um, Anti-ESG movement spawns new fund in battle against industry giants, which notes that uh, fledgling ETF provider Strive asset management hopes to compete with BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street for proxy voting power. Uh, Strive Asset Management is entering the ETF space with the goal of taking on industry giants BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street, which combine to represent more than $20 trillion worth of ETF assets. The three-month-old Columbus, Ohio-based startup, which launched its first ETF this week, is betting on a growing investor backlash against the ESG-focused proxy voting patterns among the largest players in the ETF space. The Strive U.S. Energy ETF, DRLL, is a straightforward, passive energy sector fund that investors can already find elsewhere. But the difference, according to Strive's head of product and investing, Matt Cole, is how the fund will vote on shareholder proposals. We will unlock shareholder value through shareholder advocacy, voice, and votes, he said. We see what's happening in the industry through ESG-friendly asset managers. Cole cited a 2021 Chevron shareholder vote as an example of the way the largest ETF providers can influence corporate actions. The shareholder resolution required Chevron to monitor and reduce the carbon footprint of every company in its supply chain. 
Think about that. Every company in its supply chain. Uh, through, though Chevron's board of directors described the proposal as overly burdensome, <laughs> you don't say, and didn't support the proposal, it passed after all the major ETF providers managing funds that include shares of Chevron stock voted in favor. So overriding the board. We say U.S. energy companies should evaluate all future and current investments as well as alternative energy projects exclusively based on a financially measurable return on investment, regardless of any other social, political, cultural, or environmental goals, Cole said. They might be noble and important conversations, but the right place is through the political process where everybody has one vote. Well, <laughs> you, you can imagine some of my misgivings with that sentiment. But okay, well, the idea is on the table. So instead of BlackRock and Vanguard and State Street coming in and overriding boards in order to put through these overly burdensome proposals where Chevron isn't responsible for what Chevron does, it's responsible for every company in its supply chain. Everything that uh, that's providing Chevron with anything, you you are now responsible for what they're doing, and you have to reduce their carbon. Crazy, it is craziness on its face. So, how about this system? Okay, Strive Asset Managers will put the emphasis back on no, no, you have to be. You're a business. You do things for financial gain, not for some sort of quasi fuzzy wuzzy environmental goals that are part of some net zero agenda to carbon ration humanity down down to zero. Um, and it gives some examples of some some things that it had up at that time in August of 2022, the BAD ETF, B-A-D, which off the top of my head, I don't remember what that stands for. But anyway, it, the idea was that it would invest specifically in companies that rarely make the cut in the ESG world. Um, but so far, this fund has grown to just $7.8 million, as opposed to, oh, I don't know, $20 trillion, and is down 16% this year. Another example is the God Bless America ETF, y'all, which was uh, filed with the Securities and Exchange Commission last month, but has not yet been launched. Uh, Y'all's strategy is to invest in companies that create American jobs and screen out companies that stress political activism, anti-woke funds, blah, blah, blah. Okay, all right, so you get the idea. So let's move on to Business Wire, for example, which, again, in August of 2022, had this up about one of the new funds that Strive was seeking to create, the DRLL Drill the U.S. Energy Index Fund. Um, Strive will mandate U.S. energy companies to reject short-sighted political agendas and to focus on long-term profitability, including through increased investment in oil and gas production. Um, so it says Strive Asset Management launches its flagship index fund, the Strive U.S. Energy ETF, to unlock the potential of the U.S. energy sector by providing investors an opportunity to drive positive change at U.S. energy companies ahead of a potential bull market for U.S. energy stocks. U.S. energy companies have been under-investing in oil and gas production due to, in part, to the ESG mandates imposed by large asset managers, which advance their favored agendas. Agendas? Agendas. Agenda. Uh, someone make note of that. I think that, that'll be an interesting neologism. Over the financial interest of all shareholders. As a result, U.S. energy companies are unable to adequately address the current energy crisis. Strive believes that U.S. energy companies should capture the immense economic opportunity to meet global energy demands by producing more oil, gas, and other forms of energy, while abandoning ESG-imposed constraints on the sector, etc., etc. So you get the idea. Uh, if you're... For if you're against the uh, the let's let's go back to neo feudalism in order to save Mother Earth and for uh, a hey let's provide people with energy so they can heat their homes and don't freeze in the winter um, you might want to 
think about, okay, DRLL, I can invest in something that will actually encourage companies to do this. Now, again, there are a million qualms you might have about the specific things that are being done here, but the overall uh, idea, the concept of this, of, hey, actually, let's, let's create an asset manager that creates ETFs that are actually in- interested in investing in what we want, rather than leaving it to some company like BlackRock, which is going to invest in things that we explicitly do not want. All right. So again, in this publicity blitz for Strive that was happening in August of 2022, anti-ESG firm Strive plans four new ETFs after first fund draws $250 million. Um, So after the rapid success of its inaugural anti-ESG exchange-traded fund, Strive is striking while the iron is hot. It's talking again about that DRLL um, ETF, as well as some other ETFs, the nets and other things that it's creating um, at the time. So again, more information. And in fact, you can go directly to strivefunds.com if you want to find out about their ETFs, the various ones that exist, DRLL, SHOC, STXE, etc. And you can read more about each fund and what it's investing in and whether any of those things appeal to you, assuming you have any investable capital to put in an asset management company. But anyway, so there, there's the idea, right? Okay, so let's, instead of... Instead of boycotting BlackRock somehow, no, why don't we just put our funds where we would like them to go? And again, look at Strive Askance as you will, as you should. Um, But the idea, at least, is potentially usable, right? Of course, yeah, should we trust Strive and what it's doing? What is it doing ultimately here by, okay, well, uh, instead of being telling Chevron to... Um, start going with the ESG woke agenda. We'll tell it to drill, 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 baby. Yay. Um, Well, okay, whose interest is this serving and in what way? So, of course, the public face of Strive at the time, I don't believe he is still associated with the company. But at any rate, he was the co-founder of Strive was Vivek, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, who probably rings a bell. I've been told by people who know these things that he is running for America's next top president. I don't know, because I don't care. But anyway... Take that for what it's worth. And and the revelations of, oh, his former company now has DEI initiatives and other things that he has sworn against. So put that in the grab bag of things like, oh, Elon Musk helping to start open AI and then going, oh my God, but now it's not open. Well, now I'll start another alternative. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see what that ultimately means. But, but okay, Vivek and his partner were the co-founders and the front frontward face of this company. But who's behind it? Who's backing Strive? Oh, that's right. Peter Thiel's new venture aims to lure companies away from environmental justice activism. So uh, this post, which used to be on Strive's actual website, strive.com, I note that it is not, so I'm linking to the way back here. Um, but they had this post, which was originally posted and written by the Epoch Times, which I think puts the emphasis in the right place. Whose venture is this? Oh, it's Peter Thiel's. So, uh, you know, backed by venture capitalist Peter Thiel and Bill Ackman, founder and CEO of Pershing Square Capital. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, Peter Thiel. Oh, right. Yeah, literal, not just a Bilderberger, but the Bilderberg Group's most prominent member. Brace yourself for the conspiracy theories. (laughs) Yeah, indeed, is backing Strive. And he's also backing Rumble. So, you know, Peter Thiel must be a good guy who's working for the good team. You'll excuse my skepticism on this point, but at any rate, 
This is what we're dealing with. And so, yes, the overall idea of something like a Strive Asset Management, of pooling, not just the thousands, not just the millions, but eventually, when we really ring the alarm bell and get people aware of what's going on, ultimately billions of people with their investable capital will be able to invest in the things that they want instead of in the the black hole of entities like your pension fund that's investing with BlackRock into these ESG things that you have no idea about and you don't know anything other than you see the bottom line return on the statements that you get each quarter. That's obviously the system that we're fighting against. So this is an idea for that. I don't think Strive, personally, I don't think Strive is necessarily going to be your friend. And ultimately, what is it doing? It is uh, investing in big corporations and Yay. Okay. Yay. Let's build up Chevron and these companies, you know? I mean, again, what what is it that we're fighting for? Yeah, I know what we're fighting against, the ESG woke agenda, but are we fighting on the side of these Fortune 500 companies, on the side of Bilderbergers? I mean, there seems to be some fundamental disconnect here. So I think ultimately this has to be about two things. One, it has to be about that awakening of, as I say, not just a few thousand, not just a few million, but literally billions of people realizing that their interest, even just their base, crass, crude self-interest, economically speaking and otherwise, lies in not allowing BlackRock and other companies to control their investable capital, but in uh, taking that responsibility for ourselves and directing it to the things we want. But then the second order of that is, well, we need to start investing it in things we actually want and deciding what it is that we actually want to be building up and how and in what way and structuring a game plan for that, which is a pretty tall order. But on that first point of the, I think, the global awakening that is happening, as I pointed to at that end conclusion part of the uh, How BlackRock Conquered the World podcast documentary, I did gesture toward that and the fact that people are starting to be aware of this. And that is having consequences. And those consequences should not be poo-pooed or dismissed out of hand. The fact that Larry Fink has had to go out and say, you know, okay, this ESG thing, it's got this all this political baggage now. I think we're going to have to stop pushing this. That is a sign of something. Obviously, this is not a totalizing victory. Yay. The end of ESG. Okay. Woo. We're done with that, guys. No, clearly, obviously, what Larry Fink is really saying, if you read behind the lines, is we need to do exactly everything that I've been pushing for the last several years, all this net zero ESG woke nonsense. We need to be doing that, but we just can't call it ESG anymore. But that, even the fact that they are backing away from the outward front-facing part of this agenda and the, oh, let's let's couch it in these terms and the public will just go along with it. When that doesn't work, that is a problem for the oligarchy and they are recognizing it, which is why they are dropping this politically toxic uh, material, the ESG and the other terms which have been polluted by the fact that, oh, you know, what this really means, guys, is this and you don't want that. So there is an important factor that's happening right now and it's not just Larry Fink. It's even the people who are above Larry Fink and his pay grade who are now starting to step away from at least this terminology, this part of the agenda. I think goes some way in mitigating the backlash that ESG has suffered from over the last year or so. Uh, you know, especially when Larry Fink says ESG has been weaponized. And I'm sure that's an area of concern for you because we were just about gathering momentum on the issue of inclusive capitalism and suddenly financiers and banks and investors all over the world 
thought that it was going too far. How do you see that backlash play out? So, I believe that ESG as a term should be put into the dustbin. Okay. I don't think we should try to defend ESG as a term mm -hmm. because it's been sullied by, it's, it's been productized by too many people. There's too much greenwashing around it. There's too much virtue singling. And people just think if they hang up an ESG sing, uh, shingle that they are a virtuous company. And I would throw that in the dustbin. And what I would do is I would go back to a narrative for the public about let's look at what great companies in history did okay. to become great. Whether it was, you know, AT&T or here in India, ITC, two and a half decades ago, they looked at what, how are we treating our people? How are we treating the planet? And so I would say that what we should do is we should say that business at its best has always been in the business of providing the best products to their consumers, built and designed by people who loved the product, who loved the company, who were fairly compensated, who lived and businesses that lived in communities where they, the business, was an integral part of that community. And doing all of those things creates more valuable companies. It's been shown over and over again. So I would lose ESG, but I would really bear down on what are companies doing to profitably solve the problems of people and planet. And I would do that as an investor, I would do that as an employee, I would do that as a board member, I would do that as a journalist. Um, companies that are profiting while at the same time ruining people's lives or ruining the planet, those are not long-term keepers. Those are the companies that should fall, fall off, you know, down by the wayside. We should elevate we sometimes at the Council for Inclusive Capitalism call it a race to the top. We should invest in and work for companies that are taking care of people and planet. That's the way I would answer But something that. will replace ESG, right? Because all of this needs to be measurable, describable and tangible for investors to find a way to invest in. So if you, if you dustbin ESG right. for all the bad will that it has earned over the last couple of years, something else will take its place. Is there a concept or an idea that you think could improve or actually deliver what ESG was meant to but didn't? I think it's vital that we deliver what ESG was meant to deliver. And ESG as a term was created almost by accident by the United Nations mm. in a speech in 2005. And then it took on this huge life of its own and uh, sullied itself in the, in, uh, you know, in the process. So ES, I, think, I think that ESG will be replaced by responsible business. Like what kind of businesses do we want to invest in? What kind of businesses do we want to work for? And it will be, it'll take the heat off of this ridiculous political rhetoric that 
people are weaponizing businesses that do the right thing for all of its constituents. Mm -hmm. So I think it probably, so I'm, I'm happy to get rid of ESG and let that battle be, be fought by people who are anachronistic and not even relevant anymore. Well, there you go, guys. Straight from the horse's mouth. And in this case, the horse ain't just any old horse. It is Lynn Forrester de Rothschild, no less. And if your jaw is not on the floor right now and you're not currently collecting it up and putting it back in your face, maybe you need to go back and rewatch that clip because in some ways, this is the most revealing clip that I have ever played on The Corporate Report. Revealing about the agenda and the operators behind it, but also the way that they manipulate the public, what they want you to believe, your ultimate role in all of this is all really revealed in that extremely revealing under five minute clip. It's quite breathtaking. I mean, think again about what is happening here. The interviewer puts it forward, tees Rothschild up with this question, question about, well, what do we do now that ESG has essentially been tarnished and Larry Fink and everyone is stepping away from it. You know, how can we, how can we continue forward with this agenda under other means and under the, uh, another guise? And Lynn Forrester, to Rothschild's response is not. It's again extremely revealing. It's extremely interesting. Yes, oh, obviously it's been sullied by all of this political baggage and what have you. What we need to do is reframe the narrative for the public, so that we can sell the public on this idea that. Okay, what we're fundamentally trying to do is say that companies that are hurting the planet are bad and we shouldn't be investing in them. And that's the narrative that we need to get down to the public level again. And ESG clearly is just a, uh, a fig leaf. It's just a sign that people are putting up right now. But we don't want virtue signaling. We want real action. We want something with teeth in it. And okay, so part of what is going on here is revealed when she mentions offhandedly, we at the Council for Inclusive Capitalism. What on earth is the Council for Inclusive Capitalism? Well, you would know that if you are a regular corporate reporter, and you remember, I've mentioned it a couple of times now, perhaps most notably in my editorial on what Hitchcock, Alfred Hitchcock, taught the social engineers, in which I talked about Lynn Forrester de Rothschild and inclusive capitalism, specifically noting an event that was occurring in May of 2014 when Lynn Forrester de Rothschild, who else, gathered together 250 of the globalist superclass for a conference in London. But this wasn't just any gathering of globalists. These 250 corporate and financial chieftains represented $30 trillion of investment wealth. Note, more than Vanguard, BlackRock, and State Street combined, i.e. one-third of all investment capital on the planet in one room, at one time, all of them assembled for a conference by a Rothschild by marriage. <laughs> She's not a blood Rothschild, right? What's not to trust? But still, the sight of so much wealth and power gathered in a single soiree was too much for even the mainstream mockingbirds to ignore. So how did National Petroleum Radio, I mean National Public Radio, cover it? World's richest people meet, comma, muse, on how to spread the wealth. <laughs> of course, the powers that shouldn't be are not dumb. They are not. They are at least smart enough to recognize that the plebs know that the trillionaire class does not convene to talk about how to spread the, the wealth. No, if they gather in one room, they are going to talk about their favorite topic, how to increase their own wealth, power, and influence. 
So, in order to set the narrative and get the credulous public on board with their quest for consolidation of control, they needed a MacGuffin. In this case, the MacGuffin was inclusive capitalism, the ostensible topic of discussion at the conference. But what is inclusive capitalism exactly? You might as well ask Hitchcock, what is a MacGuffin exactly? You'll get roughly as meaningful an answer. Maybe it's the plans for a nuclear weapon or a device for hunting lions in the Scottish Highlands. Who cares? It doesn't matter. Humorously, even NPR was forced to concede as much in their puff piece on the conference. That phrase, inclusive capitalism, is deliberately broad, the report concedes. People talked about it as valuing long-term investment over short-term profits. Some mentioned environmental stewardship. Others focused on treating workers well. In other words, ESG, essentially, in all but name, right? But, so, one of the things that's going on in this clip is that Lynn Forrester de Rothschild is essentially um, defending her term, her her brand of inclusive capitalism against the competing brand of ESG. And ESG has had all of the institutional momentum for the last several years. But poo-poo. No, no, no. We want to we want to use inclusive capitalism. What's the difference, Lynn? Come on. Tell us tell us tell it to us straight. Obviously, it's the same agenda, but it's got different a different cloaking. But she even admits that it is the point of how you frame this narrative to the public and how you get the public to buy into this agenda. So the fact that they are stepping away from the ESG term, the fact that it has become politically sensitive and something that, as the interviewer notes at the very start of that clip, once again, she notes that, well, all of these financial uh, companies and, and bank banks and all of these are stepping away from ESG. Well, no, they're not really stepping away from ESG. They're not having their second thoughts about it. No, but the the public is starting to cotton on to what ESG is and how it's functioning and where where this is going, and they are the ones that are out literally out on the streets, in some cases, literally marching against this agenda, but who are increasingly up in arms, figuratively, if not literally, about this issue. So, as I always say, the politicians and the banksters and to whoever else love to get in front of the parade and pretend they're leading it. Oh yeah, we don't like ESG either, guys. No, now we like uh, inclusive capitalism, and it's about uh, treating uh, uh, treating companies well that treat the planet well, or whatever pithy nonsense phrase they'll come up with to sell this agenda to you. Um, that's the point, and that's what it's about. It's about framing the narrative. Why? Why do they care about what the public believe? Once again, it goes down to the bottom line. It's because what you believe is important. In fact, it is the most important thing. What you believe influences the actions you will take, what you will do with your life. And if you are going to work in the service of this ultimately neo-feudal agenda of total Orwellian control over everyone, then you have to be sold some line about inclusive capitalism or whatever it is. And when they retreat from this, they have to retreat from ESG, and next they'll have to retreat from inclusive capitalism, and then they'll have to rebrand it another way, and another way, and another way. That is a sign that they are flailing around. They are losing the public PR war, which is the underlying part of all of this. So it keeps going back to what I always say. I don't think fundamentally we're going to win this rigged game that is played with this rigged money that is conjured into existence by these riggers of the game, the, the banksters and others who are literally puppeteering this and engineering it from the ground up in to, so that we can invest in other companies that are Fortune 500 companies playing in this rigged game. I mean, hey, if Strive is your thing, great, go for it. And I hope it works out. 
But fundamentally, I don't think that's going to be the solution because it's part of the rigged game. No, we have to completely, totally eschew this game entirely and truly create an alternative parallel system. Easier said than done, I realize. But I think that is truly what is what we are aiming at. And, and that is having an effect. The fact that people are waking up and, and becoming aware of this agenda and they have to start stepping back and reframing it and finding a new narrative hook for the public is a sign that they are actually on the back foot in this and we have to push this through to its conclusion. How do we do that? Well, again, we have to think about what we want to do with our wealth. Because these, we talk about these trillions of dollars as if they are BlackRock's dollars or Vanguard or State Street or, any, or Rothschild or anyone else. They are not. They are ours that we give to pension funds to administer and they invest in BlackRock who then invests in these other companies. But no, it's our wealth at the bottom base of this. It is our wealth. It is our power. And I don't just mean investable capital. I mean wealth in every sense of that term. Our, our lives, what we do, the time, the energy, the attention that we spend every single day building up this or that. We can spend our entire lives, that investable capital, in building up this structure of control and building up these corporations and feeding into these giant pension funds that are helping BlackRock to engineer and steer the world in the, their uh, neo-feudal direction. Or we could spend that same time and energy attention directed towards what we want to bring into the world. Which again, of course, as always, raises the real question of what do we want to bring into the world? And what, how, will we, how will we support those things that we want? But at any rate, if we don't get to that first step of the general public awareness of what is happening and the fact that it is our, our lifeblood that is being used to build up this behemoth, then we, we miss the point. So I think that really is the base of any true solution to the problem of Black BlackRock. It's not ultimately about how we're going to boycott BlackRock. It's going to be what we do with our time, energy, and attention. So I will leave it today in the words of Max Kaiser when he was asked about the failure of Karma Bank to actually achieve anything in the real world. He said, if the Karma Bank hasn't worked, it's because there isn't yet a critical mass of people who are prepared to fight back and who instead prefer to be victims. Well, you know, well said. Do you prefer to be a victim? Oh no, woe is us. And BlackRock was, is, has trillions of dollars and can do anything at once. Or are you going to be an, an actor, someone in the world doing actions, taking action, doing things with your time and energy attention, directing them to things in the way that you want them to go? And uh, as I always say, yeah, no, no silver bullet and no watching a video is going to change the fundamental structure of the reality around you. But at any rate, you can decide what you do with your life and you can direct your time and energy and attention in ways that are more fruitful. All right, I think we're going to leave it there for today. As always, there's a lot of information in the show notes that you can go and look into more of these ideas about Karma Bank and Strive and the other things that I've talked about today. And as always, I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on the solution on how to defeat BlackRock. So, of course, as always, Corbett Report members are invited to log into CorbettReport.com and go to CorbettReport.com slash SolutionsWatch hyphen BlackRock for all of the show notes and commentary for this edition of the series. But that's going to do it for today. I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com thanking you for investing your time and energy in this Corbett Report deprogram. I'm looking forward to talking to you again in the near future.